the history of the world, there have been only a few figures who have elicited, I guess, as much controversy as Bandar Singh Bahadur, if you look at the entire history of the world. The only other figure I can think of even approaching the levels of controversy he has raised has been Simon Bolivar. But then there are two fundamental differences between them, isn't there, that Bolivar was just a political revolutionary, but Banda Singh Bahadur was more, he was a religious revolutionary. But unfortunately today there is this uh, debate over him that was he a Gaddar or was he a Gurmukh? Well, this, this, this debate has been going on for the past two centuries, I guess. It has, and we have seen many historians come to the fore. I mean, Dr. Gandasin did an exceptional uh, job in clearing up the controversy, but this controversy starts over and over again because traditional histories do mention him as being a traitor to Sikhi. But then, like we were discussing, there is no contemporary or near-contemporary evidence of any form in Sikh accounts, Mughal accounts, Rajput accounts, any accounts which state that Bandar Singh Bhadar was a traitor and he was excommunicated from the Panth for being a traitor. Rather, what we have is a story of treachery where it seems he was betrayed and ultimately thrust out from the Sikh psyche. Until today, we are still trying to clear up whether uh, what he did was good or what he did was bad. For me, it, it, it's kind of hard to understand that uh, Guru Sahib had to go that far south to seek somebody who would understand him. So this all, this, yep. So maybe the the so-called Sikh establishment at that time that was present in Punjab in 1704 or around that time, hmm. Guru Sahib chose none of them. It could be that... that from a certain perspective, Bandar Singh Bhadar, maybe as Madhu Das was initially, who knows, sort of like, a, because this is what about territory and what about is, and maybe he was an agent already dispatched by the Guru in the guise of a Bairagi to go and establish himself in Nandir or somewhere far afoot where uh, the Guru could later go to him and then, uh, I guess, prep him for the upcoming battle in the Punjab. Well, yeah. There are many possibilities, but uh, uh, I do not believe that what happened could happen foreseen, uh, and also nobody would, could have expected that would happen that quickly. <clears throat> Whatever that but part of if, history if, is, is. If if you see from 1699 to 1704, it's just four years. Sorry, mm. uh, five years. Mm-hmm. Whatever that history is, it is quite mysterious, isn't it? Because there are many gaps in it which really do not contribute towards us understanding more profoundly what it is that happened in those years. But there is the theory that maybe he was already prepped by the Guru. He was aware of the Guru, that uh, the Guru shared the mission with him, maybe even prior to the creation of the Khalsa and uh, commanded him to bid his time in Nandir. Or maybe it was, as you know, as being recounted, that the Guru went down there and uh, I guess, changed his life and he was a new convert. He had a zeal for Sikhi and the Guru uh, made him a, <clears throat> one of the primary commanders of the Khalsa forces to lead them into Punjab because he was quite conversant with the geography and uh, ultimately he eclipsed others and was then subsequently betrayed. Interestingly enough, this all begs one question. We have heard the theory that Guru Gobind Singh Ji had 
up to 8,200 gods who acted as his Praetorian god whenever he slept or during his daily activities. That, that's not possible. <clears throat> Whether possible or not, there would have been some form of a guard around him to, you know, obviously guard him because he was the incumbent guru at the times. Well, but there, there could be like 20 or 40 or 50 guards, but mm -hmm. to feed 8,200 people every single day, 8,200 people at that time is an army. Mm -hmm. So I guess even if there were those 10 to 20 or 20 to 40, have you ever wondered how those two assassins slipped through the camp at Nandad and stabbed him? Uh, well, I've wondered many times, but I haven't got an answer because uh, it, uh, what's written on the paper, what's in the history is, is not written by a Sikhs. Hmm. Could it be that there was a clique uh, sleeper cell? I mean, we know that there were many uh, contemporaries at the time, Chopa Singh and Kesar Singh Shibur, who could not uh, appreciate Sikhi's dynamic uh, character, and they uh, lambasted many decisions of the Guru, saying, you know, that the Jats and the lower castes would eventually erode the Khalsa. He should have made the Brahmins into, the, uh, into uh, successive Gurus. Could it be that a similar-minded uh, group of individuals who could not relinquish their, uh, I guess, traditional practices that decided that he had to be uh, taken out of the way, that the guru had to be uh, done away with. They planned this out in a sort of a conspiracy because, mind you, this is all whataboutism, but could it be that they arranged a particular event, a particular time for those assassins to come in and stab him? Well, they, uh, then the counter question could be that he could have been stabbed and attacked while uh, in the siege of Anandapur Sahib. I guess at Anandapur Sahib, what we have is we have too many Sikh loyalists, but at Nanded, it's more or less a question of new converts, old converts, and it's more like an ad hoc system at Nanded. And who knows, maybe this clique eventually cemented its uh, uh, goals and aims after the siege of Anandapur. There was a thing that uh, the people or the assassins who stabbed Guru Guru Sahib were, were Patans. Mm -hmm. yeah. But or for... at, at, le at least were in the guise of a Patan, yeah? Yeah. So does that indicate that Guru Sahib had Patan gods? To me, what it seems is because the exact description which is given across the uh, like um, historic texts we have is that he was sleeping, and this is something I thought of today, maybe if there was this faction among the Sikhs at the time, maybe they were veterans, they were in quite a prominent position, and they decided to soften the guard or, you know, weaken the guard so these two could slip in and do what they had to and run away. Because quite intriguingly, we know that the primary assassin was killed by the guru himself, the second one, it is said, was caught by the Sikhs outside and then killed. But could it be that he, because no one ever says that he was ever asked about who he, uh, who was sponsoring them or who financed them to kill the Guru. So could it be that this very same faction decided to finish him off at the time to prevent a loose end from spilling out? Very possible. Because the name of the guard given at that time by uh, Seva Dasudasi in his Parchi uh, Dasvi, I think that's the name of the text, is Lakha Singh. But then there are other names given as well. 
So to me, it seems that uh, clique, that group of individuals who would have sold out, they would surely have planned for any eventuality. And this would have been one of that eventualities that if one of them survives, our own individuals need to go and finish him off. And mind you, they must have been pretty uh, entrenched with the Sikhs, quite embedded. They would have been very influential to escape notice for such a large period of time. Only thing where they made the mistake was they did not understand Sikhi comprehensively. And when Guru Gobind Singh Ji made Guru Granth Sahib or ratified it as Guru for infinity, that's when they would have realized that their plans, their plans to derail the Khalsa had failed altogether. Well, uh, you have to think it this way too, because there were around that time, there were way too many mercenaries floating about. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's quite possible that uh, there m- might be new converts masquerading as new converts. We want to meet the Guru and everything. Mm-hmm. So something's so, happened. But... Yeah, so they could have used multiple excuses and multiple reasons to get in. Mm. But on the other hand, if you look at it, this is Guru Gobind Singh we are talking about. He would have been one of the most guarded personalities at the time. And for them to slip in so easily, do the deed and just walk away, oh, well, not exactly walk away, it doesn't really seem viable that it would have been so easy unless there were uh, sellouts on our side as well. We'll never know, mate. Uh, we, we can just contemplate. Mm-hmm. And then in light of that, now we have Bandar Singh Bhadra, now Guru Gobind Singh Ji dies. Kavi Senapati, who was a witness to what happened uh, in his Sri Guru Soba, he writes that the Guru died in the early morning of the next day, early dawn, and uh, he was cremated as such. His body was burnt. After that, we have Banda Singh Bhadra coming down to the Punjab. Oh, well, he was en route at the time. And then for that one decade, we have the Sikhs ascending as a political and military power in the Punjab. You know, that uh, the aplomb, the grit with which Banda leads them, and we have uh, only recently Professor Balwant Singh Tillo of Amritsar University in the Punjab. He's actually uh, uncovered Rajput documents, uh, contemporary Rajput sources, which report on Banda Singh Bhadr. And the way this worked is that every imperial power at the time or every vessel at the time had their own agents at Delhi. And the Rajputs were obviously prominent Mughal psychophants. And they had their own agency recorded what was happening with the Sikh rebellion. That's how they are characterized it, the Sikh rebellion. And from these accounts, we realize quite a lot of things that contrary to what is being said today, the Mughals were very concerned about this rebellion, very, very concerned about it because it was comprehensively a revolution, if you understand what I mean. Banda Singh Bhadar turned the entire uh, social dynamic in India upside down with what he did in the Punjab. He did. And we have William Ivan in his uh, later Mughals. Uh, this is quite a cliched account, but he recounts how um, even the scavenger castes only had to go join the Sikhs and they would be given titles and deeds to the land in their villages. And all the high castes had to submit to them that and if you compare that with Shivaji Marathe, now Basham in his history of uh, Shivaji writes that Shivaji initially wrote a letter to all his supporters, do not change caste, do not change the fundamentals of uh, Indian Hindu society. 
because that will mean much more conflict for us. So initially he was trying to become an imperial pair. And then on the other hand, you have Banda Singh, the revolutionary, who's trying to change the way people have been thinking for years, trying to highlight that this is what makes you weak. Let go of that thought. Well, that's the difference. He, he, he wasn't looking for power or he wasn't looking for, you know, to become a king and rule over the people. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he, he had a mission to call to fulfill. Mm. And ultimately, it seems what happened is that Bandar Singh Badr grew very powerful. Now, to address a few uh, issues before we get onto the gist, there are there is the question of two hukamnamas which are attributed to him. Now, Harinder Singh Mabub, who was a Sikh historian, he believed the majority of the hukamnamas we have today the Hukam Namas of the Gurus and other Sikh figures, Banda included, most of them are either false or they have been tampered with. Now, the biggest uh, accusation put on Banda Singh is that he changed the Vaheguru Ji Ka Khalsa, Vaheguru Ji Ki Fateh to Fateh Darshan. And these Hukam Namas are held up as an example because what Banda Singh's uh, opening statement on these Hukam Namas always used to be, the address was Ekyongkar Fateh Darshan. Now, Dr. Ganda Singh actually rebutted this argument that uh, Banda changed uh, uh, Guru Fateh to Fateh Darshan. What Dr. Ganda Singh said was that if Banda Singh Bada really had changed it, why was he using the Ekyongkar in front of Fateh Darshan? There was no reason to do it. Yep, there was no reason. And what Ekyongkar Fateh Darshan really means is that we have Ekyongkar Shri Vahiguruji Ki Fateh, that one... I guess you can say one all-powerful omniscient creator who is uh, glimpsed or who is, uh, you know, I guess not comprehended, but who is uh, understood, whose uh, purpose behind creating us is understood through Vaheguru Ji Ki Fateh, you know, through Satguru's Fateh, Satguru and Vaheguru meaning truth down here. Ekyongkar Fateh Darshan, really, Dr. Gandasing means that through that one almighty creator, we glimpse victory in life. And that really isn't opposed to seek tenets in any way, is it? You also have to, uh, well, t- take it over this way. If we say Vyaguru Ka Khalsa, Vyaguru Ka Fateh. Yes. Doesn't it directly tell you that this this, this Fateh came into existence long after Guru Sahib was gone? Yep. So th- th- that's what I understand from it. Mm-hmm. So this really is a hollow non-argument from the anti-Banda side. The year is 1704. Yep. December 1704. Yep. So how many Sikh factions were there in the greater Punjab region? By factions, do you mean Sikh groups opposed to each other or Sikh groups slowly uniting to fight under Banda's command? Well, 1704, Banda doesn't exist yet. Ah, yes, yes, I forgot. So, yeah, so Sikh factions are having their own interests. Mm-hmm. Would have been countless. So we we would have some at Amritsar. Yes. We would have some in the greater Maja region. Yes. We would have some around another Pursab who were technically living with the Guru, but uh, were not with him. Yes. So, these are just the basic. There might have been quite a few, many more. 
So for me personally, the more important question is why didn't, what was the need for Guru Sahib to choose Banda Singh or his correct name, Gurbak Singh? Could it be that he was only one of many generals who eclipsed the others? Uh, I wouldn't say so because uh, from 1704, for, for many years, or for a couple of years, or three years, I think, Guru Sahib was still around Punjab, yeah? Mm-hmm. So, well, the, the so-called history says that he, uh, Guru Sahib uh, met uh, Deep Singh. Mm-hmm. So if you say Deep Singh's birth was 1682, that puts him uh, at uh, 22 years of age at, at 1704. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the prime of his life, Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, Gurusab do, uh, didn't choose him to lead this uh, a Sikh army. For me, did, this point is very, very telling. Mm. Maybe he wanted to, but there was no response from the other side. We'll never know. It- could be primarily that in Punjab, like we were just discussing the faction which could have existed, it's more than likely, it is quite natural to, uh, I guess, conclude that it would have had roots in the Punjab as well and all over. And if he accepted Bandar Singh, which, as is being said, met the Guru at Anandpur prior to, uh, you know, becoming Amritari, we will get to that point really soon. Could it be that at that time, the guru decided straight away that, you know, I reiterate that Banda or well, Madhav Das, that you're going to go to Nanded, but go there, just fool them with this uh, masquerading of as a Bairagi, but just be prepared for me to come over and then we will plan for uh, future eventualities in the Punjab. Could it have been one of those plans the guru made? Just one of the many plans he had in case anything went wrong at Anandapur, as it eventually did. And to that, and Banda was there far away from the factionalism which pervaded the Punjab. Because, you know, to be honest with you, we never learn about what happened in the Punjab after the Guru left. Well, uh, there are not many accounts that, that can be trusted. You're right about that. Mm. And whatever happened, eventually we know that Banda Singh ended up in there. Now, who initially was Banda Singh before meeting the Guru? Who was this man? And there's a lot of uh, material being written. Some call him Rajput, some call him uh, Saudi Khatri. Uh, his descendants at Dera Baba Bandabadar, one of them actually did confirm that a long time ago. They used to uh, say they were Saudi Khatris because uh, after uh, Banda Singh fell, because there's nothing that indicates Banda himself accepted himself to be, you know, based on that clan or caste. It was just afterwards, you know, that uh, the fam- uh, members of the family started saying that. But there is quite a stunning indication here that near the Jammu Kashmir area are quite a lot of ruins of villages which were sacked by invaders and the Mughals themselves. And there is a theory which is currently gaining ground now is that if you look at the caste system and the caste system, you couldn't go up, but you could always go down. Yep. And in this system, now, interesting enough, uh, when you look at uh, the tale of Parsuram, Brahman versus Shatri, that sort of does indicate that maybe there was some sort of uh, 
conflict going on between those two castes at the time and this uh you know quite a lot of facts were embellished etc etc now ms jandala has written quite an intriguing book on banda singh it was uh, published in 2006 banda bahadur betrayed by his lieutenants and he goes off that village theory that these ruins so what must have happened is there must have been a clan of rajputs who must have transgressed caste and they would have been reduced to the status of pariahs and forced out into the peasantry and here they would have had their village and in one of these villages a massacre would have transpired as per the times or something in which only lakshman das which is said to be banda's initial name would have survived and he would have been reduced to surviving on his own wits in the jungles and from there on he fell in with the bairagis etc etc because chandla makes quite a interesting remark when we discuss history we never discuss the emotions of the figures involved but banda singh bahadur was very emotional very passionate about peasant reform and it indicates that he must have suffered some sort of uh, atrocities or horrors as a peasant himself well as uh, as a jat uh, i must let you know that uh, we received land from him he he made us the owner Hmm. Yeah. Here, uh, uh, I think the system of zamindari. Yes. He ended that, and uh, we, uh, well, many of us were just tellers. We were not. We, we didn't own the land, but he made us the owner. So. Yep, so he. Yeah. So of 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 power and prosperity comes from him. So we salute him. Yep, and you could see how far-sighted he was, and this was all due to the Sikh philosophy, which altered him significantly. That. he fought for a cosmopolitan state he uh, enunciated uh, equity in the socio political spectrum he was quite far ahead of his times but it's the betrayal where things now get a bit sketchy if you look at it the most vocal denouncement of banda comes from the shri gurpant prakash of ratan singh pangu which is quite surprising given that pangu's uh, history of the missiles is quite accurate and on point but then Bangu being a product of his times there's quite a lot of mythologizing going on in his work but it's significant to notice that you know the accusations uh put against Banda Banda was a womanizer Banda wasn't a drug addict or oh, well I guess he didn't drink bang uh, he was a vegetarian which is a way of saying that he tried introducing brahmanism back into Sikhi all these allegations if you actually look at them uh impartially you will see that the missile sardars and ranjit singh were no no less in doing that were they well uh, since you mentioned that uh, pangu uh, you know wrote about a lot about uh, the missile sardars and everything yes there's not even a single one of them who could have been an ideal sikh they were all womanizers they were all drinking drinking wine and liquor and whatever they were yep. they looked like moguls but just in sikh attire yes and to to somewhere... have somebody to have somebody as pure as banda hmm as historian who uh, well uh, it cannot be easily digested that's what I want hmm. to say hmm and somewhere along the way somewhere along the way someone must have realized the light bulb must have gone off in someone's head that wait a second if you're saying that he's doing that that allegation could easily be pointed back at us so what's the best way to shut up any detractors just claimed that banda singh tried making himself a guru 
okay uh, uh, i'll tell you something very very similar yep in the gurdware yes you will often find a picture of guru nanak sitting with two of his, his disciples yep bala and mardana and well bala didn't exist it has been proven it's yep just, yeah so guru sahib is sitting on uh, uh how do we say this a very comfortable chair let's say you know not exactly a chair a pallet or something yep uh one of them is doing chore yep gusab is wearing very comfortable plain clothes yep and he, he just pointing in his, his hand at uh, the the looker the person who is doing yep. look at the picture hmm so isn't it exactly what, what these santa babas want want us to believe that guru mm. sahib lived this way and we are copying him we also sitting mm. sitting doing absolutely nothing i'm trying very hard to not not to swear yep <laughs> and uh, yeah so so that's it you present the gurus and historical figures just like you because you want to justify your your lifestyle and i guess this is where maybe there the root problem might come out is that you know all this is being imposed on the gurus now let's just take banda for example cause you know like i said it's a territory of whataboutism but what i was thinking when i was writing my book was that if you look at what pangu says there might be a grain of truth in there froxier based on the rajput accounts and the other accounts it seems tried negotiating with the sikhs to make them his vessels Now this is where it's mentioned that the guru matas came in pretty handy for the emperor that uh they were either coerced into writing a hukumnama or uh you know they wrote it off their own accord but you know what the evidence other than what pangu says the real evidence points to the fact that they had fled delhi at the time and gone to uh, mathura uh and down there they were in hiding from the moguls who were actively looking for them to take them as hostages however it seems to me that when fruxier said to the you know sikhs that look just become vessels of the mogul empire and you guys can do what you want and we will do what we want to now if that faction existed which had guru gobind singh ji you know uh which allowed him to be murdered if that faction actually existed could it be that that very same faction decided fine then we will accept the offer of vassalage but banda singh stuck to his guns and said no we have only one sirhand we have got lahore delhi agra and multan to conclude with we will be sandwiched in between we will be crushed and our ideology is very different to their ideology we support change they don't at the heart of this matter is justice for the oppressed masses how then can we join the oppressors against the oppressed you you, you get you get what i mean yeah yes yes but i guess yeah that's where one really needs to consider is that what would a guru gobind singh have done if he had been alive at nandir if he hadn't been stabbed would he have returned to the punjab and uh, reactivated these sleeper cells of his own to rise up and lead a peasant revolution what really would have happened and i guess that like i said this is all what aboutism because there are no tangible answers or even facts we can really use what we have is the lack of contemporary or contemporary evidence which I guess substantiates how Banda's character is being maligned. Okay. So 
can we uh, make a list of a few points that are 100% true about Banda Singh? I guess the first point would be that to defend Banda Singh is to defend Guru Gobind Singh's choice in choosing him. And the first point would be that Banda was a committed revolutionary. He was a Sikh, as borne out by his actions. And I guess the fact that he's much maligned today is due to the fact that maybe... Now, let's just say there's that faction, and that faction decides we accept Mughal vassalage. What happens after that? It becomes a religious clique, doesn't it? It overpowers Sikh doctrine and becomes the Brahmins of Sikhi. And Banda Singh was opposed to that. Maybe he was opposed to that. And that's why he was lambasted as such. And on political basis, he was pretty much removed from his uh, command position by this uh, Gahan Singh faction and ultimately betrayed and killed. Yeah. Well, uh, because the Mughals were seasoned warriors. They might have employed what, 50 different tactics to deflate him, so we will never know which one succeeded ultimately. But signs do point towards the fact that he was betrayed, and betrayed by his own uh, own companions. Betrayal, yes, but uh, what I want to say is that uh, either he was betrayed for reasons other than having Mughal support or, or Mughal popularity, or he was betrayed for money, he, he was betrayed for power, or he was betrayed because what he wanted to do went against the interests of other people. So I guess these last two points you mentioned, the interests of other people and for power, that really do strike a chord because that would have been what they would have betrayed him for. I mean, to say that uh, he was, uh, uh, I guess, uh, dobbed into the Mughals for not uh, drinking punk and eating meat, I mean, how ludicrous is it that on one hand they're trying to change the entire uh, political dynamic Ooh. of North India, and on the other hand, they're arguing over what you can drink and what you can't eat. Well, what I can drink and what I can't eat, at that point, it shouldn't be, well, that relevant. It should be what I am doing and what is the end result of my mission. Hmm. And this clique, like, this is what I really think would have happened. I mean, this clique, naturally, this group would naturally have thought that, you know, Guru Gobind Singh is gone now. We can pretty much hide away the Guru Granth. We can revert back to caste. We can revert back to fooling the masses and enslaving them mentally and physically. Let's join the Mughals and do it. They have a similar setup with their clergy. We have a similar setup with, or we will make a similar setup with their own. Hindus have their own. Let's just do what's been going on for the past few centuries. And I guess based on Banda Singh's characteristics, Banda Singh saw through all this. He opposed it. And that became the foremost grounds to silence him by doing what? By having him killed. Okay. Yep, I agree. Point number two. Yep. He was not a mercenary. He was a full Sikh. Yes. So, so uh, <clears throat> this is true, yeah? Yep. This is not a, a matter of speculation. This is not a matter of debate. It's true. He was a yep. baptized Sikh sent by the Guru himself with a mission. Yep. Okay. Yep. A, a small question. Do you know how much time they spent together? I guess if you look at the traditional histories, we are probably taking into fact that they spent a few months together. So less than one year. Less than one year because the real chronology isn't established. But I guess the 
dynamic of Guru Gobind Singh was so powerful that in less than one year, he had actually uh, inspired and influenced Banda to become uh, Singh. And this is a point we will be getting onto really soon, that was Banda and Amritari or not? Of course he was. Yep. So I guess let's just uh, look at another part of history. Ratan Singh Pangu defies Maharaja Ranjit Singh as Gurbaksh Singh Shahid reborn. <laughs> he has a whole episode in the group, in the Gurpant Prakash, in which he recounts the Shahidi of Baba Gurbaksh Singh and then says that the Guru looked around to see how I can afford uh, uh, Gurbaksh Singh. The true Guru then made inquiries with the Sikhs who had attained martyrdom during the Vardaka Lukara. All of them named Charat Singh, the true Guru promised Gurbak Singh birth into that household. And who was Gurbak Singh reborn as? The implication is as Maharaja Ranjit Singh. So that divine right of kings is brought out again. That Banda Singh tried declaring himself as Guru. That's why we don't respect him. Maharaja Ranjit Singh never did that. He could do whatever the hell he wants. He is a divinely ordained king. Now, on that very account, a habit was formed by Sikh intelligentsia to discard Banda Singh until factions such as the Arya Smaj and other uh, nationalist factions hijacked Banda Singh to say he wasn't a Sikh. And this trickled down to historians such as Hariram Gupta. And I'm sure you're aware of Hariram Gupta's five-volume Sikh history? Uh, well, I've heard of it, but I haven't, I haven't read it. Okay, so I have these histories at home, and uh, from the first page of Volume 1, Gupta makes uh, knowing his uh, view that Guru Nanak Dev taught nothing new, Sikhi is nothing new, it's just Vedic Hinduism redefined. Oh, and as... Go on, sorry. Yep, and as he comes down to the Banda Singh Bhadda track now, Gupta's actually made some allegations against Banda Singh, which are pretty much... Uh, repeated verbatim online and all over to say that Banda Singh wasn't a Sikh. Now, I'll just give a brief refutation down here. Well, you know, we are discussing the Amritari point. Now, refu uh, point number one from Gupta. The Guru did not give Banda Pohol because Banda was already known as Guru in Maharashtra. He commanded a large following. The Guru did not want to enhance Banda's prestige as a relig uh, religious leader among the Sikhs. Now, you see where the problem with this is? Oh, well, I, I think uh, I do see the problem, but I, uh, you probably have better words to explain the, the problem. Okay, yep. So, Gupta, by implication, is denying Sikhi's uniqueness here. There would have been no question of the Guru selecting a religious leader from another faith to lead his Khalsa into the Punjab. Again, how could Banda's religiosity be conversant with the Sikh credo? More critically, no contemporary or near-contemporary source exists to substantiate that Banda was already a guru and commanded a large following, as Gupta asserts. So that is pretty much an assertion on Gupta's part. So the word guru means nothing to, to Gupta? The word guru means nothing to Gupta. He's pretty much misinterpreted it. He's gone off the old definition rather than the Sikh definition. Now, moving on to the next one. Banda was overactive and overenergetic, and the Guru wanted to keep him in check by making him a regular, uh, by not, by not making him a regular Khalsa. Now, this is a self-contradictory statement. The overactive and overenergetic accusation does not stick with Gupta's early premise that Banda was a Bairagi or reclusive sage who had renounced the world. 
In Sikhi, the empirical world is the arena of true spirituality and the Guru in no way would have been overly concerned about Banda's excessive enthusiasm. Again, how better to rein him in other than initiate him into the Khalsa if the Guru was so concerned about his nature? So this really is a self-contradictory statement from Gupta. I'm not even sure if Gupta actually thought about what he was saying here. Well, well, okay. If if policemen can be bought, if politicians can be bought, hmm. can't the historians be bought? Can't the scientists be bought? <laughs> yep. And uh, now we come on to the other points. By making him a regular Sikh, the Guru feared at least he might claim Guruship in course of time. Without baptism, the Khalsa would not accept him as the Guru. Now, this is another uh, canon shot he's given us. As an institute, the Khalsa only accepted the Guru Granth as Guru, even under Guru Gobind Singh. This is borne out by the Shabad Guru Surat Tanchela Shabad within the Granth itself. Gupta contradicts himself here by later stating that the Guru made the Guru Granth Guru to avoid uh, division among the Sikhs. Is he saying that if Banda took Amrit, the Khalsa would accept him as Guru even when the 10th Guru, prior to meeting Banda, consecrated the Guru Granth as Guru ad infinitum in Chamkor Sahib itself before the Jang? Well, that tells me that uh, every single one of them, well, most of them, so these so-called historians had an agenda to fulfill. Hmm. Now, had he been baptized, he would not have introduced his own greeting of Fateh Darshan. And this was where Dr. Ganda Singh tackled him. Fateh Darshan as a greeting is mentioned in the two Hukam Namas attributed to Banda Singh. Dr. Ganda Singh translates the greeting as succeeding Ekyonkar, which is in front of Fateh Darshan, and reads through the one creator we glimpse victory, Fateh Darshan. No near contemporary or contemporary source mentions that Banda ever supplanted the Sikh greeting with Fateh Darshan. What happened after his death was that Banda loyalists started calling them Bandai Khalsa. They wore red bands on their turbans because in Islam, red is the color of hell and Banda was seen as the devil. That's why he was pra paraded in red that day in Delhi before his execution. Yep. These Bandai started... Yes? Yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Sorry. Yep. Banda was dressed in red. The Bandais wore red to remind themselves, red bands on their turbans to remind themselves of how Kahan Singh and the others had betrayed him. The state nonetheless infiltrated these Bandais with their own individuals who started calling Banda Singh Guru. Ultimately, as we know, the initial Bandais reverted to the mainstream. Banda Singh Badr's descendants in uh, Jammu and Kashmir today, they do not call themselves Guru. In fact, they have increased Sikhi exponentially in Jammu and Kashmir around that area. Everyone down there is joined with the Guru Granth Sahib. So they never called Banda Singh Guru. It was only state factions which uh, declared him Guru to divide the Sikhs. Ultimately, they were destroyed. The few residues which survived, they pretty much relapsed back into Brahmanism as, uh, you know, Mahant Ganesha Singh evidences in his Bharata Darpan. Anyhow, in case of his being a regular Sikh, now this is another Gupta assertion, a division could not have taken among his followers into the Tat, Khalsa, and Bandai Sikhs. Now, Gupta failed to garner the dynamic down here that this was embellished over time and the real reason was something else. And now this is my favorite one. This is one you, even you will laugh at after you hear this. 
There are no contemporary or near contemporary sources to establish the fact that Banda had been baptized. All sources quoted in support of this assertion are 100 years or more later. Now, Gupta was aware of the contemporary Amarnama, but never bothered reading it fully. And the Amarnama states that Banda fell at my feet and begged for the great blessings of Sikhi. This is Guru Gobind Singh Ji's own words in his last days related to Tadi Nathmal, the Amarnama's author. Gupta, I guess because he quotes from the Amarnama, he conveniently omits to mention this viewpoint. So now we come down to another uh, Gupta assertion. Neither do any contemporary or near contemporary sources substantiate his own viewpoint that Banda was never baptized. Entrance into Sikhi by this period meant initiation into the Khalsa. As per the Guru's own establishment, a Sikh is not a Sikh until they're initiated into the Khalsa. Now, Ratan Singh Pangu, this is something Gupta cleverly had as well. This is a dialogue between Banda and the Guru as narrated by Pangu. Then he, Banda, said, I am your slave, you are the Guru, and I am your Singh. Enough evidence that Banda wanted to be a Singh? And then when he spoke such words with folded hands and bent head, the guru was pleased and accepted him as a devotee. There you go. That is by implication saying that, yes, the Khande Bhatted Amrit was prepared and Banda was initiated into Sikhi. And the guru cautioned him upon initiating him to become a Sikh is difficult. Banda accepted whatever the true guru said to him. And you know how this is contradicted by Gupta himself? Gupta himself says on page 271 of volume one of his history that anyone who's baptized, only they could be called Singh. So there you go. And then he tries defending this uh, argument, this logic, by saying the Guru baptized only such men as were most willing to become a Singh. Even by Nandalal and Senapat, who had been slowly close to the Guru for many years, were not baptized. Ultimately, he was unaware of the Guru's Hukamnama issued on February 6th, 1702, which says that if one has not taken Khandebate the Amrit, if one has been initiated into the uh, Sikh fold prior to the uh, Vesaki day when Guru Gobind Singh Ji initiated the Khalsa, they can keep their old names as long as they uh, remain conversant with the Sikh Rehat Mariyadda. And then we have this other one, Banda never initiated anyone into the Khalsa. Well, hey, so many other figures we know of in history and Sikh history never initiated anyone into the Khalsa, or we don't know who they initiated. So that's really a non-argument. So Gupta's case, as far as I'm concerned, is closed. It's all based on hollow fabrications. <clears throat> it's closed and buried and given a proper cremation. Yep. And now on the issue, now there's another issue which has come up, and this is a... Right, so we discussed Pangu, we discussed how there would have been a faction which betrayed Banda and how, you know, over time Sikhs have betrayed him, called him a Gaddar when he was a true Gurmukh. Now, another aspect which the rewriters of Sikh history have brought up is that Bhup or Bhupat Prakash of Nahan was executed by the Mughals for sporting uh, Banda Singh. Now, Rajput accounts differ, contemporary accounts, they say that Bhupat Prakash failed to uh, arrest Banda that's why he was imprisoned in the fortress of Salimgar and was later pardoned by Jahandar Shah. So people saying that Bhup Prakash was martyred for Banda Singh? No, that never happened. And Navjit, this is the, I guess, the heart-wrenching thing here is that the akbar e darbar mullah of 11th September 1711 recorded something. 
that a band of Sikhs consisting of Jai Singh, Bhakt Singh, Bhagwan Singh, Kaur Singh, they were dispatched by Banda with a letter to Raja Jai Singh II of Ambar requesting him to form a coalition with the Sikhs and liberate Kurukshatra from the Mughals. And yep, and uh, the, the Rajput uh, trying to show their solidarity and their true alliance with the Mughals executed them all. They executed them fearing that Banda would undo caste. Well, of course. And, uh, well, he, he would have done that. And uh, since, uh, well, the point comes back to that. I'm pretty sure that I, as a judge, would have been categorized as a Shudra back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess many people are saying that, you know, that uh, Hindus were forced to uh, cut off their beards. Well, Kalandar's Dostar Ul Ensa, another contemporary account, it says that even Muslims were forced to cut off their beards because there were many Muslims congregating around Banda. Hmm. Well, well uh, I do like to think there were the, there were Muslims in his army, uh, initially at least. Hmm. And ultimately, the way we have made Banda Singh today, I mean, Kavi Santok Singh says he organized uh, Sachanand's daughter's uh, gang rape. Oh, man. And, and I guess the implication here is that Banda was misinterpreted, except if you look at the contemporary accounts. The Akbar Edarbar Mullah says that the Sikhs, after conquering Sirhand, did not harm the families of their uh, tyrants, I guess, their torturers, and they made a rule that not even a stray dog was to be killed on the streets. If you killed a dog on the streets, you would be executed summarily. Okay. Here's another point. If If you are, well giving such an extreme punishment to a child of a tyrant, then wouldn't that justify what the Mughals, uh, Mughals did, did to the Saibzala? That's the thing. You're becoming what you set out to oppose, and Guru Gobind Singh would not have done that. And no. under no pretense, Banda Singh would have done that. He would never... Banda Singh has been much maligned, but he never deserved that malignation. And it's high time now we clear up his image. We tell the truth about this man. And I guess, how would you say his life and his ultimate betrayal, how is that relevant to Sikhs today? What lessons can we take from it? Well, the first and foremost thing was that he was a loyal servant of Sikhi and he, well, he, he, he did uh, implement many social changes that were permanent. Hmm. So, so first of all, he, he, he met the Guru he was baptized mm. and who mm. sent him on a mission. Mm. And he was a servant of Sikhi. That's that's what I accept wholeheartedly. I do not consider him to be a, an opportunist mm. who who tried to try to live a lavish lifestyle, who tried to, to declare himself a guru and everything. And I like I like mm. to make a point here, I think I missed it. Mm. <clears throat> do you know oh, well you must have heard of it or read about it? The point about uh, putting uh, a piece of paper in the holy sarovar for yes, yes, for, for decision making mm. between the Tatka and uh, to quell the quarrel between Tatkalta and uh, the other faction when they come yes. 
Mm. How could people who have a single neuron in their brain decide that some chits of paper are going to decide what to do? Which one floats and which one sinks? Mm-hmm. So that's a very, very important point that I think I had missed. Mm. Mm. Have- that is quite an intriguing part because come to think about it, like you said, the chits of paper, how would they decide? It would be interesting to see what the Mughals were at that time because as I understand, there was a massacre. Uh, massacre? Of the Bandais, the state Bandais who were uh, double agents. Well, uh, I don't know enough about that, so I can't comment on it. But I, I was trying to make a point that if your side is so pure and so understanding of Sikhi, which is based on Gyan and everything, would you mm. choose to throw some chit in, in the water and say, let's see which one floats and which one drowns? No. In, in, <laughs> my, in my book, it's sheer stupidity, sheer stupidity, and it reeks of something that we are not prepared to discuss yet. Mm. We can't trust everything written in any history. We need to really form our own opinions after impartial research. Well, and we'll... Th- Think about it. If you and I, if you say, okay, it's snowing, I want to go to uh, Lake Taupo and do some skiing over there. Mm. And I say, no, 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 let's go to the South Island well, in New Zealand. Mm. Are we going to decide using a coin toss? Or using a parchia. And I guess this was fundamentally a more important matter because this was about Sikh philosophy being uh, dissected itself. The, the entire Sikh future was at stake at that point. Are we going to go this guess- way or that way? And who will decide? Yeah, a piece of paper. So intelligent. If you tell this thing yeah. to a, a Westerner, they will laugh in your face. Hmm. That's why I always wonder, did they ever find that second piece of paper, the one which sank down into the server? <laughs> Man, the, uh, I don't know. Uh, well, uh, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> this point is so laughable, so laughable, and yet it's a part of history. So-called history. And I guess this is where someone really needs to sit down. I mean, it's really easy to say that so-and-so infiltrated our history, so-and-so mistranslated, the British did that, uh, you know, the Muslims did that, blah, 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 blah. But really, this is where we really need to sit down ourselves and, you know, decide what is history and what is myth, what actually happened, what might have happened, what we are aware of and what we need to be aware of in light of Gurbani, in light of Sikh principles. And then we can progress forward because, I mean, as you're saying about the chits of paper which were thrown into the sarovar, I see this continually myself whenever I go to India. People have a problem, they'll take two chits of paper, write something on there, chuck them in the sarovar. Come on, man. How, how could a nation that is so progressive and it... Uh, the Gyanis have a guru. That's something we are very proud of. Hmm. <laughs> and we're using chits of paper. I guess, to be honest, maybe Banda was betrayed because Gyan was his guru. Uh, one of the reasons, yes, I agree. 
And to recap, ultimately, this is a tragedy which we still have to get over. Not only it, it's a tra tragedy, but it's sheer injustice to an individual who was not a Sikh. He had nothing to do with Sikhi, but he chose to become a Sikh and he sacrificed everything. And the changes he bought or brought in well, bought with his mm. own blood, I would say. And there were Sikhs who were born Sikhs, who are today born Sikhs, who will never even perform an iota of the sacrifice which he did. No, because uh, everything has been accomplished. Mm. You know, you know all, all the Sikh issues have been settled. We need absolutely nothing today. Mm. Imagine if he had been alive. Imagine if he had been alive, what would have happened then? Well, then uh, what Sikh history would have been very different. Mm. And I guess the final conclusion from your side was Banda Singh Bhadra, Gurmukh or Gadar? 100% Gurmukh. And if I, were there, if I were there at that time, I would have chosen to fight and die with them. A grand mm. statement, a grand statement, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a way to express uh, what, I, what I feel about him and uh, what I know about him. And I guess one of the things which was pointed out before this episode was pretty much that uh, Banda Singh set the bar so high for the future Sikh leadership that they just decided to vilify him after they were corrupted by power. And that vilification continues today. We know of Maharaja Ranjit Singh, but we never know of figures such as Banda Singh or Nuab Kapoor Singh, the figures who, I guess, paved the way for the ascendance of the Sikh empire and ultimately... Today, we need to take lessons from their lives and prepare accordingly. Banda Singh was a warrior, but he was also an intellectual. Many histories uh, credit the Nanak Shahi uh, calendar, the first Nanak Shahi calendar to him. He tried establishing a Sikh calendar. He tried doing many things, which ultimately he was unable to because his own side betrayed him. But today, we should live, we must live as Banda Singh Bahadur would have envisioned us living. Yep, I agree with that. And uh, to continue from your previous point, let's say if his, his Kalsaraj had stayed on for another decade or two, mm. man, I can only imagine the heights would have reached by today. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, you have to remember that Ranjit Singh and uh, uh, similar historical Sikh figures you should not count them as Sikh figures. Mm. Ranjit Singh married a 17-year-old when he was above 50. Mm. And he already had like five wives or something and numerous concubines. See, we try excusing these events by saying, oh, well, this is what happened in contemporary times, blah, blah, blah. But the gurus lived as they wanted the future to be. So by rights, a Sikh should be living as they want the future to be. Well, well <clears throat> sorry. The fact is, uh, in, in my book, a Sikh is, is... Is a Sikh supposed to have su such a lifestyle? Wives, concubines, and marrying somebody who could, who could almost be your granddaughter? No, no way. A Sikh is one who's man niva matuchi. Yeah. So, can Ranjit Singh and so-called people... Well, they might have had Sikh heritage. They might have been born to Sikh parents. But were they able to do justice to Sikhi? No. 
Mm. And that's exactly what Sardar Kapoor Singh used to say. Well, we have lost a lot, and I would say a lot in capital letters. Mm. But today, with the internet and with the amount of knowledge we uh, that, that's accessible to us, and uh, uh, with the superpower called common sense, we have an opportunity. Mm. Because uh, I, I think the, the the demographic of people who actually no longer follows uh, no longer follow the, the so-called babas and sampradas and everything. It's slowly growing. Yep. Hmm. So that is a ray of hope. Hmm. And uh, people are thinking through their own brains and not taking other accounts into into matter. They will simply say, I, I, guess... I, I have the Gurbani, I speak Punjabi. It's written in my language. And uh, I'll try to do it myself. Let's see what happens. People are, are discussing, albeit slowly, in small numbers, but mm. people are discussing. And since uh, everybody has internet, so, so some people have chosen to make TikTok videos, and some people have chosen to use internet to do some research and, uh, you know, try to know about who we actually are. So, yeah. Mm. And I guess to summarize, now is the time to live as Banda Singh would have wanted us to live. Uh, yes, because uh, uh, the the okay, sorry, uh, I, I was the, the liberty we have, the liberty we have. Yeah, the path of Sikhi hasn't changed since the first guru to the tenth guru. Hmm. So we have to follow that path of Sikhi, the exact same path that Banda Singh walked on, hmm. and uh, and look forward to the future. Yes, and I guess to finish off Banda Singh's life, if it could be summed up in one Gurbani quote, it would be this ki rali, rali keri. I, I agree with you over there. Yep. Wahiguruji ka khalsa. Uh, wahi...